Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hi, folks. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Pigskin Past. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Zagorski. And today we're going to be talking about repeating at a title, a world title, as Super Bowl champions. Now, why is it so difficult for teams in this day and age to repeat as Super Bowl champions? It rarely happens more than once every one and a half to two decades anymore. Uh, but in the glorious decade of the 1970s, two different teams accomplished that feat, and one of them managed to do it twice. Why is there such a disparity for the difference between then and now? Is there more than just one reason? Well, the most reasonable place to try and answer this question is to go back to the wonderful pro football decade of the 1970s, where winning more than just one Super Bowl was much more common, and in 1972, the Miami Dolphins did that. They accomplished the unexpected, a perfect 17-0 season, and a Super Bowl VII victory. Now, if you ask any members of that team to a man, they would say that the 73 Miami team was a better team than what they were when they were undefeated in 72. Uh, the 73 Dolphins managed to lose twice during their regular season of that year, and they had a tougher schedule that year. Uh, the 72 Dolphins have long been derided as having an easy schedule, but the 70, 73 Dolphins repeated to win Super Bowl eight, and they were thus the first team since the 67 Green Bay Packers to repeat as world champions. Well, how did the Dolphins do it? Well, the one thing that head coach Don Shula insisted on was for his team to play mistake-free football. That's hard to do, and few teams can ever do it. But they did better than anyone else expected them to do. Their defense in 73 gave up only 150 points, which was the best mark in the entire league, and which was 21 points less than what the no-name defense surrendered in the previous year, that undefeated year. Now Miami made the most of their opportunities throughout the 73 season. They played smart football. They had the least amount of penalties all throughout the league, and they didn't allow what the league standings or their opponents dictated to them how they played the game. They played the way Shula wanted them to play, mistake-free, which gave them a second straight world championship. Now, a couple of years later, the Pittsburgh Steelers were facing the same challenge. They were built a little differently than Miami. Uh, the Steelers made great use of the annual college draft they built up the roster to include numerous future Hall of Famers at many different positions. Pittsburgh's defense was the most impressive part of their team in 1974 when they captured their first world title. Their defense was very good in 75 also, but it was really their offense which improved much more than their defense in 74. The Steelers were strong in 74, but they did suffer from occasional letdowns. They peaked at exactly the right time especially their defense, against opposing rushing attacks. They permitted only a meager amount of ground yards to all three of their postseason foes in 1974. They would be the Bills, the Raiders, and then the Vikings in Super Bowl IX. 
Now, in 75, the Steelers limited those letdowns from the previous year to a much smaller amount. True, their opponents played them tough, but the Steelers just proved that they were tougher. They swept all of their divisional games, which allowed them to win their division with only a limited challenge from Cincinnati. In the 1975 AFC title game, both the Raiders and the Steelers made numerous mistakes. The difference was that Pittsburgh was able to take advantage of more of Oakland's miscues than what the Raiders were able to take advantage of the Steelers. And that provided the Steelers with a 16-10 victory. Now in Super Bowl X, it took everything that Pittsburgh had in order to beat the tougher-than-expected wildcard Dallas Cowboys. In that game, it was their character and their refusal to fold which led the way to a 21-17 comeback win for their Steelers, their second straight world championship. A few years later, the Steelers once again were the defending world champions, having beaten Dallas again in Super Bowl XIII. But would they repeat? And if so, how? Well, the pro game had undergone many different rules changes in that past year of 78, and even though Pittsburgh was able to adapt to those new rules better than any other NFL team, they still faced an enormous challenge in 79. If there was ever a team during the decade who would suffer from complacency, it would be the 79 Steelers. They had already won three Super Bowls at this time. Uh, it would be easy to, for a letdown to occur. Furthermore, in that season in 79, Pittsburgh's offense committed an incredible number of turnovers. Their quarterbacks, Terry Bradshaw and, and others, uh, threw a total of 26 interceptions and they fumbled the ball 26 times and that was the greatest number of fumbles in the entire league. So that's 52 turnovers. Now to be fair, the Steelers had quite a few newer players and rookies handling the ball in 79, which might explain, at least to a degree, the high number of turnovers. You could tell that this 79 Pittsburgh team was just not as dominant as those of previous years heading into their pro season. Yet they managed to beat Miami in the divisional playoffs and thanks to a controversial call, they managed to beat Houston again in the AFC title game. In Super Bowl XIV, the Los Angeles Rams gave them one heck of a fight before finally bowing to Pittsburgh's overall experience and the wide receiving prowess of John Stallworth. So there you have it, the 1970s saw its share of champion repeaters, much more so than the teams of today. The overall verdict? Well, the teams of that previous era were seemingly just built stronger than today's teams. They were also able to take advantage of whatever situation befell them better than today's teams. That's my take on it. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Pigskin Past. Look forward to talking to you again next time. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month 
for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.